going to turn to 542, 542 this morning, way back in the back of the book. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. and trials and we see that if we keep our eyes on the Lord we make it through them and we take our eyes off of them and we just fall into despair so we just need to keep praying for God give me grace to trust you through all the trials and the tri- tribulations of life and we surely have got them I know we got a lot out this morning <clears throat> Miss Joanne and Brother Robert still sick and that's why they're not here this morning um, Brother Dan and Miss Anya of course we know they lost their, their dog uh, somebody shot their dog and they taking care of that this morning y'all please pray for them it's never easy when you lose a when you lose a dog or a pet any kind like losing a member of the family sometimes it's hard 
and uh, I've certainly lost my share. I know y'all have too. So pray for them. Uh, pray, continue to pray for Donnie and Erica and their children that they'll get all get well and get back. And for Phyllis, yeah, pray for Phyllis that she'll get back with us soon. Anybody else who we're missing? Miss Charlotte, that's right. Miss Charlotte's got the flu. I don't know why I wasn't thinking of Charlotte first thing, but but yeah, we need to lift her up in prayer as well. Any others that I'm forgetting? All right. Well, our usual cast characters we pray for, usual bunch, uh, all our family members we lift up normally. Anybody got anybody else before we go to the Lord and pray this morning? Uh, yep, Diane, absolutely. All right, well, let's go to the Lord and pray. And Scott, let's lift, let's Scott up in prayer as well. All right, let's go to the Lord and pray this morning. Richard, lead us. Uh, Father, we just uh, thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for bringing us all here. Uh, Father, we just lift these prayer requests up to you in a, in a very special way. Uh, Lord, those who are sick and those who are out, uh, you need to greet and say about that, those who are traveling. Father, we just lift them up to you right now. Uh, Father, we just pray your will be done there. Uh, bless this time now, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You be seated.
God, I remembered it. Amen. 
Oh, he touched me. 
And he touched those believers in Thessalonica, and that's what we're talking about this morning. Take your Bible, turn with me to Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians, and we're going to begin there in verse six. Second Thessalonians in verse six, and I'm going to try my best to cover the rest of this chapter this morning. It seems how Robert's not here, he can't complain. If I go over a few minutes. He can, but I can't hear him. He can only hear me. Amen. So he's at home sick. So, Robert, buckle in, buddy. Here we go. Second Thessalonians chapter 1. We'll read verses 6 through 12. The Bible says there in Second Thessalonians chapter 1, Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting fire, I'm sorry, with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Wherefore, also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word, and let's go to him in prayer this morning. Father, Lord, I come to you this morning, Lord, not because it's time to pray, but because I need you. Lord, I dare not stand up and try to preach this message without Holy Ghost power. I'd fall flat, and I know it. Lord, I want to communicate these truths to your people and to those who listen in this morning, whether they are your people or whether they're soon to be your people. Father, God, help me to communicate this truth and the reality, Lord, of the coming destruction that's waiting for those who know not our God and know not Christ. Father, I pray this morning that you'll help me to make it plain and clear, Lord, that that people that are listening in this morning who do not know Jesus as their Savior, that have never been washed in the blood and had the, the relief of the forgiveness of sins, Lord, that they may understand that they'll not get out of this life successfully without Christ. They'll only end up in destruction. They'll only end up in torment if they try to live it and do it without Christ and go out into eternity on their own merit. Father, please help me to communicate these truths this morning and to encourage the saints along the way. Father, we have a glorious time waiting on us. Help us to see that as well. Lord, I pray and I ask you, please give me Holy Ghost unction now as I get ready to preach. And I'll give you all the praise and the glory. For it's in Jesus Christ I pray. Amen. It is good to see you this morning, even if we're kind of a few and thin. That's all right. God knows what we needed, and God knows who was going to be here before we ever got up this morning. And I take comfort in that. Hey, some preachers get up and they say, man, ain't nobody hardly here this morning. They get all depressed and they don't want to preach. Well, I'm just tickled as I can be as if the whole house was packed because I know this is what God knew before I got here, and that's all right. Amen. And I know there's people hearing this message. Every Sunday now we've been 
having over 100 people tune in to listen to our message after we leave here. Over 100. We don't have 100 here. We don't have close to 100. But we're reaching a lot more people than we see. So be encouraged and pray for the people who are here that they'll all get back here soon, all right? All right, and we want them here, amen? We're looking forward to seeing them again. So let's get into the Bible this morning. And, and last week we looked at, let's go ahead and read verses 1 through 5. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus to the church of the Thessalonians and, and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's greeting he always gave. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because your faith groweth exceed, exceedingly, and char- your, the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and your faith and all your, persecu- and all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which also ye suffer. And now, that's where we left it last week. But I want to focus here on that verse 5, because verse 5 leads right into verse 6. Jesus said, uh, Paul, through the Apostle Paul, he said, which is a manifest token, which is evidence, rather, of the righteous judgment of God. You're going through all of these troubles and trials and persecutions and everything for your faith. He said, but that's evidence. That's evidence of the righteous judgment of God that's coming. That righteous judgment of God is coming upon those who persecute you. All right? He said, he said that, uh, he said, sin, in verse 6, he said, sin, it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. So that verse is going together with that. They said that you're counted worthy, God, and that's why you're suffering. It's for the kingdom of God. So, I want us to look this morning at the beginning here. We're talking about the, the judgment that's coming, the judgment of God that's coming on the unsaved because that's who was giving them the grief. It wasn't other believers. It was lost people, whether it was the Jews or whether it was the Greeks or whether it was the Romans. They were getting all kinds of hostile behavior and hostile treatment from all those around them. And... uh like I said, in verses 6 through 9, the judgment on the unsaved is graphically portrayed as occurring at the second coming of Christ. Okay, I want you to understand that. And, and, I, and I know some of you know all this already, but some of you may not. And there's people listening in that may not. So we're going to cover it and comb through it with a fine-tooth comb and get all the truth out of it, whether we've heard it a hundred times or not. <clears throat> but anyway, we're talking about the second coming here. In these pat in these verses, because and the reason I point that out is because Second Thessalonians it mentions the second coming of Christ and the rapture in the same breath sometimes. So we need to kind of make sure we understand who's what he's talking about and when he's talking about it. So anyway, that Jesus is coming again with the angels. That's a consistent witness in Scripture. We say that over and over and over again. Zechariah fourteen five says, and ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azal. Yea, ye shall flee like as ye fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and the Lord my God shall come and all the saints with thee. The Lord shall come and all the saints with thee. That's the second coming of Christ. Uh, because, again, he's coming to take his church out, so he couldn't come with all the saints with him if he, he hadn't cut the saints yet. So he's speaking there in Zechariah 14.5, of course, about the second coming of Christ is Old Testament. It wasn't in the New Testament. I mean, it wasn't, the rapture wasn't given in the Old Testament. So, yes, of course, he's talking about the second coming. But in Matthew 13, 
39 through 42, the Bible says, The enemy that sowed them is the devil, the harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be at the end of the world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, not gathering church, gathering those that offend that do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire, and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. That's not the rapture. Hallelujah. Matthew twenty-five thirty-one. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. Now, the portion of Scripture we read earlier in these verses together, they make it very clear that the destiny of evil is something horrible to think about what's going to happen to it. Torments, fire, eternal punishment. But the judgment that he's talking about of all the living unsaved will take place at the time when he returns to the earth with his holy angels. And the nature of that judgment is plainly depicted. It's a judgment, he says, of flaming fire. That sounds terrible. I I say this morning, if there's somebody listening on the sound of my voice who is not sure that their name is written down in heaven, they're not sure that the blood has been applied, they're not sure that they are washed clean, you better pay attention because there is a judgment of flaming fire coming for you. And there's nothing you can do to avoid it but believe on Christ and get saved. It's a judgment of flaming fire. He says, taking vengeance. That means God is angry and he's got fire, all right? And, and it comes upon them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus. He says, I don't want to hear all that. Well, okay, fine. You'll be in hell forever. I don't tell me that. Don't you preach at me. Okay. Well, when you're roasting in hell, you'll wish I had. That's all I can say. You'll wish I had when you're burning in hell forever. Now, saying that, let me, let me, let me hit on this. Some people teach that he says everlasting destruction. They teach, well, that, that means annihilation. That means when you go to hell, you just burn up, and that's it. You're done. That's what a Jehovah's Witness told me over in Paris one time. See that piece of paper out there in that yard? He said, you're going you gonna to burn up like a piece of paper. No, sir. Jesus said, well, the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. It don't ever go out. Everlasting destruction, that word destruction there, it, it's also translated ruination. So it means forevermore they're just going to be ruined. Everything's just going to be absolutely ruined and they'll be nothing but a ruination for the rest of their existence, which will be for eternity. They won't be destroyed in a sense of, of extinction or ceasing to exist, but they will experience eternal ruin. And the Bible teaches that the lost are going to continue. They're going to continue to exist forever. They'll be around forever. Nobody ever dies and goes away forever. That's, that's the thing. I see all kinds of stuff when I get on Facebook. I see silly stuff on there. I somebody the other day uh, posted something about he had died and came back and he has great news. We never die. Well, yeah, read the Bible. It's in there. It's like he got, he got a revelation when he had a near-death experience. Well, all you had to do was read the Bible. Do you know that before he had a near-death experience? But people, I tell you, they just just read the Word of God. It tells you everything you need to know. But uh, again, the lost, they're going to live forever. But they're gonna. But it won't be life. It'll be an existence. But it won't be life. 
It won't be enjoyment. It'll be in a lake of fire, a lake of, of burning fire. I know that sounds that sounds preposterous to somebody who's never seen a lake of fire, who never stood by a lake of fire, but I guarantee you all those who go to the rim of those volcanoes and stand up there and look off into that burning volcano, they can, they can, they can appreciate that. I guarantee you, somebody who's looked at a, in a, inside the crater of an active volcano and saw the molten lava boiling, they can appreciate when I when I talk about uh, a lake of fire. I think every lost person ought to look over into an active volcano. It might change their spiritual. Uh, I don't know that it would. It probably wouldn't. Unless the Spirit of God draws a man, he can't come anyway. They just say, man, that's hot. But, Again, the Bible's teaching they're going to live forever in that lake of fire. Matthew twenty-five forty-six says, "And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, not annihilation, but punishment, but the righteous into life eternal." Boy, that sure sounds better to me. I want to go into life eternal. I don't want to go into everlasting punishment. Mark nine forty-three and forty-eight, Jesus said, "If thy hand offend thee, cut it off, for it's better for thee to enter into life maimed." than having two hands to go into hell. In other words, if you can't, if, if your sin is so valuable to you that you can't come to Christ and be saved because you can't quit doing stuff with your hand, you'd be better off to cut your hand off and come to Christ. Don't let anything be your reason you won't come to Christ, is what Jesus is saying there. He said, and having two hands and going to hell into the fire that never shall be quenched. He said that about your hand. He said that in the next verse about the man's foot. And he said it in the following verses about a man's eye. He said, "Cause better going to it's better it's better to go into 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 life maimed than to go into hell with two feet or to go into hell with two eyes into the fire that shall never be quenched." Verse forty-eight says, "Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched." You say, "What worm?" I, I, that 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 may refer to the soul of a man, and then again, it may I, I believe that's what it refers to, the soul of a man, but. But it also may refer to something eating on him, too. I don't know. But either way, I don't want it. I don't want it. I can tell you, and I'm not going to experience it because I've been in, I've been in Christ for a long, long time, and he's, he's kept me saved all this time. Revelation 14, 10 through 11. The Bible says, The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. I, that sounds horrible. You'll drink of the wine of the wrath of God. God says, Here, you're going to drink it. Drink it all, boy. Take it all. Drink it all to the last of the dregs of it. Get all of it which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented. It's not enough to just burn, but tormented. It's going to torment and torment and torment uh, with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. See, God, the Bible says in the presence of, people tell me, God, you know, they'll they'll never know God in hell. Well, they know it. God's watching it. God sees it. The angels see it. Now, whether they realize God is, is there or not, I don't know. I can't tell you that, but I know this. They won't have no relationship with him. He'll be their tormentor. But but the Bible says that they're gonna, they, they can't get no help. They ain't going to forget God's there. I can guarantee you that. They'll never forget that they had a chance to believe. They'll never, had a, they'll never forget that they had opportunities to be saved. But they didn't get them. They didn't take them. The Bible says, And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night, who worship the beast and his image and who receiveth the mark of his name. And for everyone who didn't believe on Christ before that, the, the, 
those who received God's judgment are described as they know not God and that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So to me, that refers to two groups of people. There's, there's one group, and the second group, a further explanation or a further definition of the first. It, it's, better, it's better to view those as referring to the two groups that will experience God's judgment. Those who know not God, they're pagans. They're pagans, and they don't have the full knowledge of God and the gospel. While those who don't obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, they've clearly heard it, but they willfully reject it. You know, you got some who ain't never heard it all. They don't understand it all. But then the second group, they've heard it. They say, I don't want that. I'm done with that. So the second group, to me, seems more guilty than the first. Because the first class, they're guilty of ignorance. But it's a shameful ignorance because they rejected the life that they were given to begin with. God tried to reach them. The Bible says God had given to every man. And what did it say? Try to remember this. Uh, gosh, throw a blank. God has given to every man a measure of faith. Yeah, thank you, Mama. Went blank there for a second. God has given to every man a measure of faith. The measure of faith. So every man could believe, but they rejected the life that they got to begin with to see that Christ was Christ was the Savior. To see that they were lost. They looked. They began to see it. Said, No, I don't want to look at that. I don't want. I don't want to know that. Forget that. I'd rather. I'd rather believe in. Uh, you know, this, this tree stump that I'm bowing down to. I'd rather believe this little golden idol I've got or whatever, or I'd just rather believe I'm going to be okay because I'm me. Whatever their idol is, whether it's self or something else, they, they ignore the knowledge of God. <clears throat> Romans 1, 18 through 23 is a familiar passage, but it talks about it. It says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. And you know what? You could say that ain't a soul in America that, that doesn't escape that first group because there's Bibles everywhere. There's there's Bible even on TV today. You can find some Bible on TV. There's gospel tracts left all over the place. I mean, you could find Jesus in America if he's looking. I mean, there's no excuse for anybody. It's absolutely willful ignorance that they don't want it. Uh, but again, they hold the truth in unrighteousness because... That which may be known, which may be known of God, is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. There's so many things. There's so many things that point to God. There's so many things that point to His creation. That, that points that, that we do have a, a, an actual intelligent Creator who made us. I mean, there's so many things. All you have to do is think about it. You know, you see a truck drive by. Well, somebody created that. It didn't. It didn't. Fall apart and come to pieces. I mean, metal and jump by the junkyard and come together and form an F-150. It just don't happen that way. Somebody made that truck. You hear a song playing on the radio. You know somebody wrote that song. You see a drive-by building. Somebody built that building. We look at a human being. Evolved over time. No, that don't make no sense. No, we have a creator, and they know that, but yet they don't want to know him, so it's willful ignorance. The Bible says because when they knew him, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. They thought they did it themselves, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. That just sounds like our generation that we're living in right now. And changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. And I think that goes back to Molech, worshiping the bull god, worshiping the owl, worshiping all those 
creatures that they brought from Babylon. I believe that goes to that. But you know what? That same old religion is being promoted today. That same old godless religion is still being promoted here in the, in the land of the free and the home of the brave. So that's the first group. They, they could have known God, but they rejected the light. But the second group is identified by the refusal to obey, refusal to listen, refusal to submit to the gospel. They've heard it, but they don't want it. They don't just reject the knowledge offered in the gospel, but they refuse the obedience the gospel demands. Because God doesn't, God doesn't want you to say, well, disagree with it. No, he wants you to, he, he, I mean, it, that's all it takes to believe and trust him to be saved. But God doesn't want you to just write your name, check off, check your, check your name by the, the box by your name and go about your life like he wants you to. God wants you to live for him. God wants you to obey him. God wants you to submit to him and live for him. That's not to be saved, but that's because you are saved. But this first group didn't want him. They didn't want nothing to do with him. They didn't want to obey anything he had to say. So they, they not only reject the knowledge offered in the gospel, but they refuse the obedience to it as well. So you got these Thessalonians, and they've been going through trials. But even though they're in the middle of all these trials, they have an expectation in them. And that expectation, what they're looking forward to is not, they're not looking, from, looking forward to more trials. They're looking forward to glory. They're looking forward to reward. They're looking forward to blessings that don't ever fade. Their prospect, the prospect before those who are persecuting them, I mean, they don't have nothing to look forward to. They don't have no glory ahead. They don't have no reward, no blessing. No, what do they have to look forward to? They have to look forward to terrible judgment. That's what they have to look forward to. Terrible judgment from God is pictured there in the Scriptures. And, and again, once again, this contrast is drawn between trials and troubles as it comes to the Christian and the righteous judgment of God that's going to overtake those who don't know him and refuse to obey the gospel and believe on Christ. So God's trying to show us the, the difference there. Now let's get to verse 10. Verse 10. He talks about the coming of the Lord. 2 Thessalonians 1.10, it says, When he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. The time of his terrifying judgment is going to occur when Christ returns to be glorified in his people instead of his earthly kingdom. Again, this terrible judgment is not going to take place during the rapture. In the scriptures, in general, and in Second Thessalonians in particular, a contrast is drawn between the coming of Christ for his church, which is pictured in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 4, which we looked at 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. We did, we did a whole Sunday on that, on the rapture. And he's coming to earth with his church. Again, we're talking about in that passage for his church, but his coming to earth with his church is to set up his millennial messianic kingdom. Now, when he comes for his church to take us out of here, the dead in Christ will rise first, and living Christians are going to be caught up in the air to meet the Lord. John, 4, John 14, 1 through 3, reveals that after the church is raptured, Christ is going to take her to heaven to be with the Father in the Father's house in the place where Christ has prepared for us. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. In the, in, in the, in the epistles here, these, these first two, the, I mean, these two epistles of, uh, to Thessalonian Christians, uh, the Lord's coming to earth to set up his kingdom. They, that's also told in here. So it's not just the rapture, but his, his coming back 
to set up the kingdom. And that's not the same event. I know most of you know that. But again, there's some that, that don't know that and need the difference laid out for them. So again, so there's two different events. There's the coming and taking out of the church, coming for his church, and then there's Christ coming back later with his church. So we're going to look at the two difference of the two differences, the two different phases here in the next 15 minutes, and we'll go as far as we can. We'll cut it off, and we'll finish next Sunday. But I'm going to just kind of review because I know we went through this already, but but it's but it's part of this, so I want to differentiate again between the two events. The rapture, of course, we see in First Thessalonians. If you want to turn back here and look at it real quick, First First Thessalonians chapter four, sixteen and seventeen, those last two verses of that chapter. The Bible says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So you see in those two verses there uh, that, number one, Christ comes in the air. Okay? doesn't say comes to earth. It says he comes in the air. All right, second of all, it says he comes for his saints, not with his saints, but for his saints. Then we see in there that we're caught up together with him, so believers depart from the earth, okay? And what, what do they depart for? Christ gathers us together to himself. And what, and, and what does he come for? He doesn't come to judge. He comes to take us away to our reward. So there's, a different, there's different things that take place. First Corinthians fifteen fifty one. he says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. He said it's a mystery because it wasn't in the Old Testament. The Old Testament prophets didn't understand these things, and so they, therefore they didn't, they didn't teach these things. God had not revealed that to them at that time. So that's why he said it's a mystery. It wasn't in the Old Testament. It was something they were, not something they were. First Thessalonians 5, 1 through 3, he said, Paul said, but of the times and the seasons, which refers to things relating to the Jews, he said, you have no need that I write unto you. Again, they're a Gentile church. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. When the Lord comes for his church, there's no signs. I mean, we're not looking for some sign to tell us it's going to come. I know we're looking over in Israel and, and looking at what they're doing over there as far as getting ready to build a temple and, 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 to get, and finding a red heifer and all that stuff. And we're looking at it and saying, hey, they're getting close. And those things point us to say, you know, the coming of the Lord is soon, but those are not signs to tell us when the rapture is going to occur. There are no signs. But the Bible says, when Jesus did say when they say, or when he said, well, he said that in and uh, Paul said that, for when they shall say peace and safety, well, again, you got, I, just the other day I heard uh, the Japanese prime minister calling for a new world order. Um, again, you see our government in haywire, chaos, turmoil, and, you know, it's it's not going to get no better, folks, none at all. Uh, you know, the conservatives can't even, can't even run the house. It's just, it's just a, it's just a mob, mob rule madhouse up there. All these things, the world is in chaos, and, and uh, it's a lot of it's created chaos. Most of it's created chaos. You know, we were just talking Wednesday night before we left here. I'm talking about Bonnie having chicken. She's going to be a millionaire because eggs is up to $8, $9 a dozen some places. You know, things are going to get so expensive 
We don't know what to do. All all this last six months or so, there was about a hundred and something different factories across America that just burnt down mysteriously, just burnt to the ground or burned up where they couldn't use them anymore. And again, all these are shortages that are starting to take place and starting to hit us. And I'm not saying this is a sign of the end, but again, these are trials and tribulations coming upon uh, the people of the United States. All these things are coming upon us, and but they're not signs that the rapture is going to take place. Because, again, there are no signs. It's imminent. It could happen any moment. There, again, nothing has to happen before Christ can come. First Thessalonians 4.18 says, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Again, we're talking about him coming and taking us out of here, not him coming and judging everything and, and, and bringing wrath and destruction upon, upon the lost. This is a time of blessing. This is a time of comfort. And he's saying to the Thessalonian church, you know, be comforted by these words. Take comfort in this. Christ is coming to take you home, and it'll be a time of, of great joy and blessing. Again, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Where I am, there ye may be also. So it involves believers only. He was speaking to believers. He wasn't speaking to just anybody and everybody. First Corinthians fifteen fifty one through 55. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, or we shall not all die. We shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead in Christ shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruption, the corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? It'll happen in a moment. It'll happen quick. The time it takes to blink your eye, he said, we shall be changed. That quick. Nevermore to have to, to groan in this flesh again. Praise God. Nevermore to have another ache or pain. Nevermore to have another dread or grief or, or agony. Nevermore to be sad again. Hallelujah. I'm telling you what a glorious day it will be. Amen? And it's going to happen when Christ comes for his church. And the Bible tells us that only his own are going to see him. Again, it says we shall be changed in a moment of the twinkle of an eye. The rest of this world ain't going to see him. If the rest of this world see him, they go, oh, no, Jesus came. But you know what they're going to say? They're going to say the aliens came and got them. Practicing for that for a long, long time. The whole alien story, it's built to cover for the rapture. It's built to say, well, there they went. Thank God they're gone. Marksman Quartet got a good song called, There They Go. That uh, someday they're going to, so what do they say? Oh, you can't remember nothing. I don't know why I'm asking you. <laughs> Something about more flying through the air, and I wonder if they'll say, look, there they go. But they won't see us. That's just a silly song. Uh, you know, because, again, only his own going to see. Uh, tribulation is going to begin when we're gone. Revelation 6 tells us that. Revelation 6 tells us that, uh, uh, again, the four horsemen of the apocalypse are going to come forth. The saints are going to be martyred. They're going to die for their faith. They're going to cry out, how long? There's going to be earthquakes on the earth. The sun's going to be blackened. The moon's going to turn to blood. Stars are going to fall from heaven. And, again, God's going to roll up the firmament like a scroll. And the Bible says, and they see the throne. They see the throne. And they cry out, hide us from he that sitteth on the throne and the Lamb. 
Because, again, God's right above. We can't, we, you know, again, science ain't going to tell you that. Why would science tell you that God's right above us? Why would science tell you that? They don't want you. They don't believe. They don't, and the ones that do believe, they don't want you to know that they believe because they lose their jobs. <laughs> but all of those things are coming when we're gone. Revelation twenty two sixteen. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of Jesse and the bright and morning star. Jesus is going to come as the bright and morning star. Again, again, you take that NIV and you turn to Isaiah uh, 14, 12, you'll see in the NIV and Isaiah 14, 12 that they try to claim that Lucifer is the morning star. Yeah, I don't tell you all you need to know about the NIV. But Jesus is the bright morning star. Now we look real quickly at the return. We saw we saw him, him coming for his church in the rapture, but the return. I ain't got time to quote all these scriptures, but if you want to write them down, you're certainly welcome to. But the Bible tells us that Christ comes to the earth in Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4. And it tells us that Christ comes with his saints. And, and that's in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, so I'll turn it over and read that. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, the Bible says for this cause, no, I ain't got that right. That can't be right. What did I, get? I guess I got tangled up on that somehow. Anyway, in Jude 14, it's there, I can tell you that, where the Bible says that the Lord cometh with 10,000 of his saints. So Christ is coming back with his saints. Unbelievers are taken away. That's in Matthew 24, 13 through 41. Christ comes with his bride. That's in Revelation 19 and verse 7. Angels are gathering the elect in, in Matthew 24, 31. That's referring to the saved of Israel, that ain't referring to the church. Christ comes to judge. That's Matthew 25, 31 through 46. Uh, the second coming of Christ is predicted over and over in the Old Testament. You can look at Daniel in Daniel chapter 7, and there's plenty of places in Daniel where you can see that Christ is coming back uh, to judge. Foreshadowed by many signs, Matthew 24, 4 through 29. It's a time of destruction. And judgment, Second Thessalonians two eight eight through twelve. It involves Israel and the Gentile nations, Matthew twenty four one through twenty five, verse forty six. Again, he's going to judge the Gentile nations. It'll be visible to the whole world. Again, the rapture, they're not going to see us. They're not going to know where we went. But when Christ comes, the whole world, every eye will see him. Every knee is going to bow. That's in Matthew twenty four twenty seven, Revelation one seven. The millennium is going to begin. It's not going to begin at the rapture. That's when the tribulation begins. But the millennium is going to begin when Christ comes again, Revelation chapter twenty. And then Christ comes as the Son of Righteousness, Malachi four two. It's different from the rapture. They're two different events. So the question comes up in in Second Thessalonians one verse ten as to which phase of his coming we're talking about. And the best explanation seems to be that in this verse, Christ is referring to the coming to establish his kingdom. And when he comes to take his church home to glory, he's not going to judge the earth then. The church will be taken out of the world very quickly, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, and then they'll be taken to heaven. And Christ is also going to go back to heaven with his church. And his purpose is not to judge the, judge the earth then, to judge the evil. 
But when he does come back to establish his kingdom, scriptures make it clear he's going to judge the world in perfect righteousness. And there won't be no excuses then. Won't nobody stand there and say, but I, but I, but I, but I, but I. There won't be no but I's then. It's either, it's, it's going, it's going to be Christ is right and you're wrong. There ain't going to be no ifs, ands, or buts. <clears throat> and when he comes, he's going to gather the Gentiles before him and he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. He's going to separate the saved from the lost. The Bible says in Matthew 25, 31 through 33, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him again. That's not the church coming back with him. That's not the saints of God coming back with him. That's the holy angels with him he's talking about, and that's talking about his second coming. And then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. But he shall set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left. This judgment has to do with the people that are living on the world at the time of the second coming, and he's going to judge them then. Ezekiel 20 tells us that Christ will judge the Jews in a similar manner when he regathers them from all over the world and purges out the rebels from among them. Let me read those verses real quick, and we'll get done here in just a second. And I will bring out of... I will bring you out from the people and will gather you out of the countries wherein you're scattered. This is, again, talking about the Jews, with a mighty hand and with a stretched out arm and with a fury poured out. And I will bring you into the wilderness of the people, and there will I plead with you face to face. Like as I pleaded with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so will I plead with you, saith the Lord God. And I will cause you to pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. And I will purge out from among you the rebels, and them that transgress against me, I will bring them forth out of the country where they sojourn, and they shall not enter into the land of Israel, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. In other words, when he comes back, he's going to do a little separating the wheat from the tares. And he's going to judge those those rebels. When he comes back, he's going to be accompanied by his saints. And I'm going to tell you, it's going to be something to see when Christ comes back. You know, it's not only true of us coming back with him, but, you know, it's not just us. But it'll be all the saints, all the Old Testament saints, all those that died during the tribulation period. All of them are coming back with us to the earth. Christ is going to set up his kingdom. And let's, let's, let's conclude. Let's get these last two verses. He mentions the need for prayer here in the last two verses. He says, Wherefore also we pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, and that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm just going to wrap this up. So he's saying to this church, he's saying, listen, keep your eyes on the Lord. Don't take your eyes off of God. He said that God will count you worthy of the pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. He's not saying that they can do anything. He's not saying that y'all have the strength and y'all have the ability. No, they're in the midst of persecution. But what he's saying is he's saying we're praying always that God will count you worthy of his calling and that he will fulfill, that God will look down and say, hey, he's saved. He's saved, they're saved, 
and I'm going to give them the power. I'm going to give them the 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 the, the ability to keep their eyes on me in the midst of this persecution. I'm going to give them the hope in them that I'm coming back. I'm coming back for them. Keep their eyes on on that and not look at this earth as the end. Not look at the the trials and tribulations of the hour as the end all be all of their existence, but they're to lift their eyes up above that and be looking toward heaven and looking for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to say to you this morning that we're living living in an hour that is trying, it's, it's becoming more trying by the moment, honestly. You know that we 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 facing we facing seem like new new illnesses all the time that come down the road and we don't know how to deal with. We say again we face, we're beginning to face shortages of things and and we know those things are not going to get they're probably not going to get much better. Not as long as the current administrations in office and the people that are running this country. Uh, you know this world is I don't want to go into politics too deep. But they're siphoning our country. They're siphoning the funds out of our country. That's what the war in Ukraine is all about. It's about siphoning all the funds out of America. They're breaking us. And I, and I know in my heart of hearts that God is behind all of that because this nation has turned its back on God. So to make application of this to today in America, Christianity is not popular in America anymore. It's not. I mean, there may be a church on every corner, but the general consensus among people in America is that Christians are the problem, that Christianity is the problem, that if we could get rid of all this do's and don'ts business, then everybody could be happy. But the truth of it is, again, they are the people that God is referring to. When they, when they had the knowledge of God, they refused it. They didn't want it. So God's going to judge them people. But while we're living amongst them people, we need to continue to try to win them to Jesus. We need to continue to keep our eyes on heaven. We need to continue to realize that though we go through trials and heartaches down here, temporary, and we're not to focus on the trials of life. We're to focus on Christ. We're to focus on what he's done for us. We're to focus on the fact that he endured the sufferings of this life, and every temptation that we face, he's faced it, yet he did it without sin. And therefore, we're to keep our eyes on him, and we're, to, and we're to have hope in his coming because he is coming for us. We're not to take our eyes. We're off of him. We're, we're to keep our eyes on him, and we're to remember the whole time. When we look around at all these, these evil men and women around us that are doing evil things and are seeming to get by with it, we need to remember, though they may get by with it right now, and though it may seem like they're winning right now, this is all the victory they're ever going to know. And our victory is yet to come. Keep your eyes on the sky. He's coming. Let's stand together. We're going to sing a song of invitation here in just a second. And I and I want to I want to I want to ask you this morning. Just think about what you had in Christ. Just think about where you could have been. Think about, think about where you were before, before you came to Christ. And what if he never came into your life? Where would you be right now? What would you have without him? Oh, we ought to praise him. We ought to thank him today. We ought to thank him for where he's led us in this life, how he's led us through this life, how he's taken care of us 
And I know we can all stand and list a list of tragedies that have happened to every single one of us. Yes, we've all gone through heartache and tragedies, and we've all faced some awful things. But wasn't God good in the middle of it? Wasn't God good to take us through it and, and heal us up and comfort us and, and bind us up and give us, give us his grace and, 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 and keep our eyes lifted up toward heaven? I mean, isn't God good? And we ought to rejoice and we ought to praise him today. And we ought to, we ought to ask him to, to lift our spirits, to, get us, to give us a joy back in our life that we've lost. It. We need to rejoice, not because of anything going on down here, but because our names are written in heaven. But we, ought, we have a reason to rejoice today. Let's go, Lord. Father, I just love you. I thank you so much. I'm thankful this morning that I'm not going to hell. I'm thankful this morning that my sins have been forgiven. I'm thankful this morning that I have a family. And it's a big thing. And there's a lot of brothers and sisters in it. I'm thankful this morning that I have a home. And, Lord, it's more beautiful than anything we could ever build down here. And I'm thankful this morning that you indwell me, you live in me, and you love me, and you guide me, and you speak to me, and you want to have a relationship with me every day. And, Lord, you've given me your spirit. Lord, you, 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 you fill me with your presence. And, Lord, you want to speak through me and use me every single day. Father, I'm so thankful for these, Lord, that have come to the house of God today and these that have listened to the end of the message. And, Father, I just pray, Lord, that we'll, we'll not forget as we look at this old nasty world sometimes just how good you are. Lord, please don't ever let us begin to forget how good you are and how good you've been in our lives. Father, I pray today be a day of thanksgiving. Today be a day of rejoicing for, for the fact that we are children of the Most High God, that our, that our Savior is seated in heaven at the right hand of the Father. We're thankful today that he's victorious over sin and death and bought our salvation. Lord, thank you for what you did. And may we praise and give you glory this morning. In Christ's name, amen. We're going to sing 254. I'm not going to play anything, but I want you to sing this together. If you need to come and pray, I urge you to do that. We'll sing as many times as me. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful, Jesus my Lord. He is the mighty King, Master of everything. His name is wonderful, Jesus my Lord. He's the great.
come back. I think you'll enjoy it. And uh, you have a good afternoon. Enjoy your lunch, and I'll see you back tonight. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Stephen, dismiss us, please.